Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. You guys ready for the word? Let's get after it. How many of you are glad for the word? I'm just going to take a moment because this is a powerful, powerful, powerful book that we have access to. It's not just literature, body healing, mind restoring, spirit energizing word of God that has the power by the power of the Holy Spirit to change our lives from the inside out. Can you say amen? Are you glad for it? Grab your Bibles. I actually uh, want you to turn with me. We're going to spend quite a bit of time in the scriptures this morning. Go to Luke chapter 4. We're going to start reading in verse 14, but I want to give you just a bit of context uh, for where we're headed in this, in this message today. So in Luke chapter three, Jesus is baptized. The Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove, the Bible says, and remains. And then Jesus is led into the wilderness where he's tempted of the devil 40 days. This is where we pick up Luke chapter four, verse 14, when you're there, say, got it. Luke chapter four, verse 14. Um, I'm reading out of the ESV, so NIV's close. New King James is also close, but we'll get there together. Verse 14, scripture says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. This is Isaiah 61, right? The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were filled, fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, say today, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. It all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, wait a minute, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, who are them? Them, the Israelites, none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through the midst, he went away. Okay, now, I want you to hold a place in Luke 4. We're going to turn back, go to Mark chapter 6. We're going to read the same account, different biography. Scholars believe that Mark was the first of the synoptic gospels written. Uh, Mark was written to Roman. Mark wrote to Romans, and so he's very succinct, uh, quick, businesslike in his detail, but uh, very specific. So Mark chapter 6, we're just going to read quick, six quick verses here. When you're there, say, got it? Mark chapter six, verse one. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were astonished saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Hold on, wait a minute. Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? Watch this phrase. We're going to pay attention to this. And they took offense at him. 
And Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. How many are so thankful that even in a culture of unbelief, Jesus in the name of Jesus is still powerful to do what it can do. Let's continue here. And he marveled because of their unbelief. So again, that phrase, and they took offense at him, and he marveled at their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus for your powerful word. Father, today give us ears to hear what your spirit is speaking. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Enliven this word in your heart. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight. We love you, Jesus. We thank you. And everybody said Mark chapter six, I gave you two phrases, and he took offense, excuse me, and they took offense at him, and he marveled at their unbelief. I wanna ask you a question. Offense and unbelief are both issues of the what? Offense and unbelief are both issues of the, say it a little louder, I know it's New Year's Eve. Offense and unbelief are both issues of the, right. Solomon said this, keep and guard your, above all that you guard for, out of it flows the issues of life. In other words, we're to keep and guard our hearts above all else for everything we do and everything we are flows from that place. And thus our thesis this morning that a hardened heart will blind us from the new thing God is doing. Again, a hardened heart, an offended heart, a bitter heart, a cynical heart, will blind us from being able to see the new thing the Lord is doing even when it's right in front of us. In other words, the condition of our heart determines how we're able to engage with everything in life. So I wanna go back to the text again. Grab your Bibles, this is really important. I want the text to teach itself. I'm gonna do a little bit of uh, exegetical work here in the text because I want you to see really as a case study on the issues of the heart and how it affects everything we do. So go back into Luke chapter four. I'm just gonna go verse by verse through this and just kind of highlight what we need to know. Okay, so verse 16 Scripture says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Growing up in a small town like Nazareth, everybody knew Jesus. They knew Jesus as a teenager, right? They knew him as a little child as well. Scholars believe that the population at the time in first century Palestinian uh, Jewish culture was between two and 300 people, perhaps 500 at the most. What that means, y'all, is that's half this room. Half this room is the population of Nazareth, and what does that mean? Everybody's gonna know Jesus, and everyone's gonna know everybody, right? Let alone, Nazareth was a nondescript, modest town of low reputation, low dialect. Scholars say it, for all intents and purposes, lacked culture. You remember Jesus in in John chapter one comes to Philip and he says, follow me, right? Philip then goes to Nathanael and says, oh my gosh, we found the one, the man, Moses, the law, and the prophets have been waiting for, this is Jesus. And Nathanael didn't say, awesome. What did Nathanael do? He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? You guys know the word. This is awesome. Can anything good come from Nazareth? So Jesus, in the eyes of some, was illegitimate. Now let's talk about this. Last week we talked about the miracle of his birth. But miracles are not miracles to everybody. Miracles, in the eyes of some, are inconveniences and offenses. So if we look at even Jesus' birth, the miracle that we celebrated, so tender, so meek, so mild, it was a scandal. It was a scandal. Remember, in in Matthew's biography, it it records that that Joseph considered divorcing Mary quietly because he was a just and righteous man. He didn't want to bring her shame. And so imagine Jesus, having been born in Bethlehem, they travel back up to Galilee in Nazareth. He grows there. He's an infant. He's a toddler. He's in the terrible twos. He's in the threes. He's a teenager. That's the Jesus that they were familiar with. Now, as a rabbi, it was not 
un- uncommon for Jesus to preach in the synagogue on Sabbath. But what was offensive and uncommon was for Jesus to say, this whole jubilee, this new move of God starts today, and by the way, it's with me. It's with me. This reign of God starts with me. That's what roused the anger. He's a local. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Can anything good come from a missed call in the Detroit Lions game last night? <laughs> they won that game. 12 and 4. <laughs> uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble. Let's continue here. So again, verse 21, he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. What's interesting is the scripture says both in Mark and Luke's account that the presence of God dropped. The anointing was felt. People marveled at his words. But then the spirit of familiarity crept in and they went, wait a minute, we know this guy. We knew him as a teenager. We knew him running around this place when he was just a young kid. It can't be him. He's just a local. So down in verse 23, look at this together. Jesus knows what's in their heart. He says, doubtless you'll quote to me this proverb, physician, heal thyself. Now, it's not a proverb from the book of Proverbs. That's from Greek medical literature. Do hear what you did in Capernaum. What basically Jesus is throwing back in their faces, I know what you're saying. You're saying prove it. If you are who you say you are, prove it. Do a party trick. Do a miracle because we don't believe you. We know you. We know your family. You're from a carpenter's family. Prove it. Now, this is really interesting. What's starting to be realized in this? And this is why I want to spend some time in the text. Is it bitterness? Is it cynicism? Is it unbelief? Is it perhaps shame about themselves that they're projecting onto other people? Here's the thing. The circumstance in the synagogue didn't cause the bitterness, didn't cause the cynicism. The circumstance merely revealed what was in their hearts already, right? The Lord is never opposed to offending our minds to get to our hearts. I'll say that again. The Lord is not opposed to offending our minds to get to our hearts. Now, Jesus isn't done. He's going to drill down even further. He takes us into this story, and he tells the people in the synagogue, remember this, what happened with Elijah and Elisha. Now, why would he, he talk about Elijah and Elisha? Elijah and Elisha are perfectly apt analogies for Jesus' own ministry. In, in their ministries, the dead were raised, Food was multiplied. But here's the thesis. Here's the point. As it was then, it's now. Nazareth is rejecting him, but Gentiles would receive him and the blessing he brings. So basically, Jesus is saying this. Listen, a new day is here, but because of your hardened heart, your unbelief, your lack of faith, you can't receive. You're no different than they are. You're no different than they are. And my performing a miracle isn't going to change your cynical, hardened heart. Their hardened heart blinded them from being able to see and engage with the new thing God was doing. And so it is with us. Because when the Lord says to us, behold, I do a new thing, now it springs forth. He asks a question. Do you not perceive it? When the Lord asks questions, he's not asking because he's lacking information, right? He's asking because he's probing. Do you not perceive it? Well, there is a chance, actually, that we don't perceive it. Why? Because bitterness and cynicism are blinding. Unforgiveness is a poison that will rob us of our strength for today. Ungrieved losses, disappointments of the past will steal your vitality and affect your physiology. Proverbs 14.30 illustrates this point brilliantly. Proverbs 14.30 says this, that a calm and undisturbed mind and heart are the life and health of the body. Isn't that amazing how emotional and physical health are interconnected and inseparable? But envy, jealousy, and wrath. What are envy, jealousy, and wrath? They're negative emotions that come from the... You guys are good. 
Envy, jealousy, and wrath, scripture says, are like rottenness of the bones. Does that resonate with anyone? Jeremiah gave us language for this in Lamentations 3. It'll be on the screen starting in verse 17. It describes the exhausted soul this way. And you have bereaved my soul and cast it off far from peace. I've forgotten what good and happiness are. And I say, perish is my strength and my expectation from the Lord. O Lord, remember earnestly my affliction and my misery, my wandering and my outcast state, the wormwood and the gall. My soul has them continually in remembrance and is bowed down within me. And that's why you can't perceive the new. That's why you can't see the new thing even though it's right in front of you because we've turned inward in a self-protective posture and and we wear our pain like that ill-fitted sweatshirt that we just won't throw away. We've become it. It has become us and it becomes our identity. Behold, I do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Prove it, Jesus. Prove it. I think it's important for me to also say this. You know, because we can armchair quarterback um, the scriptures when we read this and we read like Mark 6, we read Luke 4 and we're like, get him, Jesus. But I don't know about you, but I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I'm one of those who doesn't like expectations cut off. I'm one of those who struggles to move beyond disappointment. I'm one of those who when I have my sights set on something and it doesn't materialize, I'm going, what happened? I don't know about you, but if I'm not careful and I don't keep and guard the issues of my heart, I would be just like them. How about you? Like we can't armchair quarterback this thing so easily and go, get him, Jesus. Look at those bad religious people. No, we are them. We need a savior. We need a healer to open our eyes to see, to perceive the new day, right? I want to read you a quote. This is written by just a brilliant Catholic priest um, named Ronald Rollheiser. I actually had some time with him about a month and a half ago. Um, he'll be on the podcast um, in this spiritual formation series I'm doing this month. He wrote this. And just, just allow yourself to enter this narrative. He wrote, imagine taking a walk in a beautiful forest on a splendid summer's day. But if your mind and heart are hopelessly torn... And if, for example, you're painfully infatuated with someone who has just rejected you, you will see virtually nothing on this walk. Not just the beauty and creation, but nothing at all. You'll see nothing at all. A hardened heart will blind us. It will blind us from healing, from the new day, from the new thing the Lord is doing. Why? Because of what's going on in here. Rollheiser continues, you are inside yourself torn by your pain, endlessly reviewing past and future conversations, possibilities, and fantasies. You are locked in an inner world whose obsessive reality absorbs all your awareness. Your reality has been reduced to the size, shape, and color of your inner world. I want to read that last sentence again. Your reality has been reduced to the size, shape, and color of your inner world. This is the difference between what's true and truth. Because what's true for us and what's valid for us isn't necessarily truth. I don't want to get too ahead of myself yet, but suffice to say, our inner world dictates how we see everything. You know, we've just come through Christmas and the slogan stands, it's the most time of the year but it's not for a lot of people. It's just not. There's something about this time of year as as joyous 
as it is, and in no way am I discounting the miracle that is the birth of the one who changed the course of our lives forever, but it is to say when families are together and the snow's falling and the music's there and the, the food, the bacala is on the table. How many of you in this room didn't get what I just said? Oh, thank you. This, there's a bunch of Italians in this church, right? So when I say, like, if you don't serve bacala, you're going to get the malocchio. <laughs> Aha, see, it's good. It's not the most time, wonderful time of year for many people. Your reality has been reduced to the size, shape, and color of your inner world. Just in a moment of vulnerability, 2023 has been the hardest year of my life in over a decade. I've experienced significant losses and setbacks in every domain of my life all at once. From relationships to finance to health. And I'm not on the other side of all of it just yet, but this message today is as much a clarion call to me as it is to you. The Lord is concerned about the condition of our hearts as we navigate life. Why? Behold, I do a new thing, now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? Why? Adversity is loud. Would you agree? Loss is loud. Betrayal is loud. A medical diagnosis is loud. Adversity is so loud that it challenges our ability to perceive the steadfast faithfulness of the one who says, I will never leave you or never forsake you. And we look at life and we say, if that was true, that wouldn't have happened. Hebrews 13, five, he says, I will never, no never, not ever, no ever, leave you or forsake you. What's amazing about that scripture is that in English, a double negative cancels out the negative, right? right. Not so in the, in the Koine Greek. In the Greek, it's a quintuple negative, and what he is doing is doubling down on the fact that I will not ever, no, never, even when you don't feel it, even when you can't see it, I will never, no, never, not ever, never, ever, ever leave you or forsake you. I think it's in part why the scripture says that the just will live by faith and that we walk by faith and not by sight. I wanna show you an illustration of something. I call it the cycle of pain because what I wanna do is I wanna take this from theory into practice. I want you to be able to walk away from today and go, oh, this is how I recognize my inability perhaps to walk into the new thing the Lord is doing. I developed this uh, a few years ago. I've used it with coaching clients. I unpack it at great length in my book. But when I developed it, I really, I began to see, oh, this is why people stay stuck. So what happens is, if you look top left, trauma wound. Don't be uh, turned off by the word trauma, basically. A trauma is a physiologically distressing uh, reaction to a psychologically uh, distressing event, right? It's pain, it's loss, it's heartache. We all experience that in life. What's the reflex when we all experience pain and loss? We don't like getting hit, so what do we go? Uh, I self-protect, right? But there's an inflection point in this stage, the second phase of self-protection, where we have the opportunity to recognize it and pursue healing by the power of the Holy Spirit, therapy, fill in the blank. But when we don't, we drift into isolation. We isolate ourselves from good, life-giving people. How many of you know healing requires community? People. Not only that, but we isolate ourselves from the power and the presence of the Lord. And when that happens, this is where the next phase kicks in, spirit, soul, atrophy. Job put it like this, Job 17.1, scripture says, Job, Job wrote, my spirit is broken. The, the Hebrew word for the word broken there means to tie as with to tie as if with a rope. So imagine this, imagine I had a rope and I tied this around my arm, right? And I pulled it tightly. What would happen to the circulation in this arm? It would get cut off. 
this arm would soon atrophy. Well, the same thing happens when we are just stuck in isolation. It isn't long before the spirit is broken. Bitterness sets in. The soul atrophies. Burnout could be a common description of that stage right there. And then the neurobiological reflex is to turn to shame and blame. Shame says, it's not that I did or didn't do something correctly. I am a mistake. I am fundamentally and fatally flawed. That's, that's a, a phrase you all know, Dave Bauer. That's Dave's phrase. I am, I am fundamentally and fatally flawed. And then we turn, like Adam in the garden, after they sinned, Adam goes to, to the Lord and says, it's the woman you gave me. We turn to blame, we blame others. If you would have loved me, this wouldn't have happened. If you would have taken care of me, this wouldn't have happened. And when we turn to shame and blame, we feel more pain, then we hunker down in self-protection, and then we isolate ourselves even more. We, we just, we tie that rope tighter, we turn to shame and blame again. We feel more pain. Do you see how this just continues? This is like a greenhouse environment for bitterness, for cynicism, for unbelief, for the broken spirit to thrive. If you're taking notes, write this down. An offended heart will look for offensive things to justify its offended state. An offended heart will look for, by nature of its state, will look for offensive things to justify its offended state. Let's play this out in the context of a, of a relationship. So you enter conflict in a relationship. Throw, that, uh, throw the cycle of pain back up for me. When we are stuck in this place, when there is conflict in a relationship, an offended heart will hear things that were never said. Again, the cycle of pain is a greenhouse for the malignant soul to thrive. Rollheiser says it this way. When we stand before reality preoccupied with ourselves, we will see little of what is actually there to be seen. Moreover, what little we do see will be distorted and shaped by self-interest. See, in the cycle of pain, bitterness thrives. Bitterness thrives. It explains, influences, and defines our reality. And so when he says to us, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, we hold him at an arm's length. We turn the other way and walk in the other direction. And like everyone else who's heard us, we put him on trial too. It's not because we don't need or want rest. It's just that circumstances, adversity has told us Go at it alone. Trust only yourself. Two people can be living together in the same house, married, and be as far away from each other as anything because of the separation and the bitterness in the heart. You see, too many of us have, have forged a new way of living based upon what didn't happen and have thereby insulated our hearts to the extent that we are now self-protected at an arm's length from the only one who can give us life. It's no wonder when he says, behold, I do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? We're like, I don't know. Pastor Tony last, last Sunday, I thought it was really interesting. We, we didn't compare notes at all, but I just find the continuity of this theme of miraculous so awesome because at the end of his message, PT was talking about how some people just opt out. <laughs> this is getting under the hood to explain why they opt out. Why? <sighs> Apathy, bitterness, cynicism, exhaustion. I don't know. Do you, do you see it? I'm right here. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your sight. Prove it. Prove it. <laughs> it's no way to live. It's no way to live. Thankfully, there's a way out. Go with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10. 
I'm going to give you the short account of a blind man named Bartimaeus. I'm going to read out of the Amplified, so it'll take me probably longer than you all, especially if you're reading NIV. Mark chapter 10, we're going to read from verse 46 to 52. I'll give you just another minute. I hear pages flipping. If you do want to follow me on your devices, I'm in Amplified Classic, AMPC. Okay, here we go. Then they came to Jericho. Who are they? Jesus and his disciples. And as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. Scholars say, as was his custom. Monday, roadside. Tuesday, roadside. Wednesday, roadside. Thursday, roadside. That's all I did. And when he, Bartimaeus, heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, saying, Jesus, son of David, have pity and mercy on me now. And many severely censured and reproved him, telling him to keep still. But he kept on shouting all the more, you, son of David, have pity and mercy on me now. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, telling him, take courage, get up, he's calling you. And throwing off his outer garment, he leaped up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, here comes a question, what do you want me to do for you? Do you think Jesus was unaware when a blind man came to him of what he actually wanted or needed? What was Jesus doing? He was using rhetoric, he was asking a rhetorical question. Because it was a deeper question. Because Jesus is about transformation, not just healing. Spirit, soul, and body. And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has healed you. And at once he received his sight and accompanied Jesus on the road. I want to go back into just the text a little bit. Verse 49 um, through 52 will be on the screen here as I unpack this. So, how does this play in our own lives? Here we are, going throughout life, draped in an outer garment, and like Bartimaeus, we need our sight back. You know, Bartimaeus, scholars believe, had this, had this cloak, this outer garment, and it was a government-issued cloak that just gave legitimacy to his need, but, but basically what it's saying is he found identity in this. He found sufficiency in his deficiency. Something's roused in him in his spirit and he's like, today's my day. I've had enough. Jesus' disciples come to him and say, take courage, get up. He's calling you. Now how many of you know when you're exhausted, when you're apathetic, when you're just done? The notion of taking courage is not only unreasonable, but impossible. Get up? Really? Thankfully, Scripture says that his strength is made perfect, complete in our weakness. This morning in pre-service prayer, Ty was reading Isaiah 40, and, and what's stunning about that is Scripture says he gives power to the faint and the weary. But we have a choice. Listen, here it is. No one is invalidating the pain of your past, the betrayal, the hurt, what happened to you. No one is invalidating what happened to you. We just can't be defined by it. So, so when he says, take courage, get up, he's calling you, we do have a choice because we don't have to take courage. You know what? I like the roadside. I'm getting fed. All my needs are met. The cloak's keeping me warm. But I'm stuck. But I'm stuck. Too many of us have created a reality based upon what didn't happen. Moreover, we've created a theology then about who God is in our lives based upon what didn't happen. So we have a choice in the matter. Take courage, get up. Take courage, get up. He's calling you. Take courage, get up. He's calling you. 
So the invitation is this. Do you want to throw off the outer garment? Again, no one is invalidating the pain of your past, but the day that you decide that what Jesus did for you is greater than what happened to you is the day that you will. I'm done. Again, no one is invalidating the pain of your past. No one's saying, this didn't happen. But just because this happened doesn't mean it's who you are. If I had a mirror, I'd be telling myself this right now. Because it's true. This is real. The betrayal, the cancer diagnosis, whatever. You fill in the blank. But the day that you decide that what Jesus did for you is greater than what happened to you is the day you'll throw off your outer garment, take courage, get up, and follow him because he's calling you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it for the honor and for the glory of Jesus' name. Yeah, this is the trapping nature of offense because when he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest, again, what do we do? We turn the other cheek. We run away. Why? Because of the neurobiological reflex inside the broken spirit kept inside the cycle of pain where bitterness thrives and we go back to self-preservation. This isn't new to us. Genesis 3, verse 8, after Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden, they sew for themselves fig leaves as clothing, and then what do they do? They hide. Shame says hide. Self-preservation says I have to take care of myself. And you know what? Even though this is dysfunctional, at least it kept me warm. Maybe. We have an invitation today. Because he calls us by name, but too often we call ourselves by our circumstances. I want to say that again. He calls us by name, but too often we call ourselves by our circumstances. It was true for Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, Before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. What did the Lord do just there? He gave him an identity. Jeremiah's response wasn't sweet. It was, don't say that. How can you say that? I'm only a youth. He calls us by name and invites us to take courage to get up because he's calling us. Yet too often we call ourselves by our circumstances and we find sufficiency in our deficiency. If you think I'm past this because I have a mic on, don't kid yourself. I need to remind myself of this every day. In fact, those eight words, take courage, get up, he is calling you, are eight of the most important words in my life. Listen. Taking courage is the daily choice. Transformation doesn't happen in a day, it happens daily. Transformation doesn't happen in a day. Transformation is an ongoing process where we yield our hearts before the Lord. And he does what only he can do. Now as a pastor, I have to say this. It's a little challenging, but it's important because of the, the, the moment we find ourselves in the, in the culture in which we live. You have to be really careful to not take this message or a message like this where we're talking about healing and transformation, getting up and moving forward. We have to be so careful not to turn this message into a therapy gospel of self-help. We live in a culture obsessed with self. Self-help, self-healing, look inside yourself, find your true self inside yourself, speak your truth, live your truth. It's a sham. It's a sham. Jesus is not your life coach as you pursue a self-focused path and pursuit of self-actualization and project self. He's king. He's Lord. He's Lord. 
So this message today about transformation, yes, is about healing. And when we walk in the promises of the Lord, we are positioned uh, for blessing indeed. But transformation is about stewardship of our lives because the greatest call of our lives as believers is not to go to heaven. The goal of Christianity is not to go to heaven, it's to be mature. God has called us to be sons and, and sonship is not a gender specific term, it's a, it's a positional term. Romans 8, Paul writes this, he says the whole earth eagerly waits and groans for the revealing of the sons of God and the earth transformation is for wholeness and wholeness is for maturity because of the call in our lives to stand up in purity and power in this day and declare that he is who he says he is but that work of transformation requires maturity. That's what this is about. Don't turn this into self-help. Self-help is no help. Self-help is no help. The self is the bronze statue of this era. This is about transformation. And so the invitation to throw off our outer garments is a stewardship of our lives. And I want to say this. The band can prepare to come. Again, that sounds good till we put this into practice. The day that we decide that what Jesus did for us is greater than what happened to us is the day we'll throw off the outer garment. But watch this, what do we do? Because we've worn this for a really long time. We've worn it for so long that this has become so comfortable. What did I say earlier in the message? We wear it like that ill-fitting sweatshirt that we just won't let go of. My sister teases me I have this I have this flannel shirt and it's got like this big old hole here and I just won't throw it away it's mine I get to do with with, with it what I want this has become comfortable but it doesn't mean it's healthy this has become comfortable but it doesn't mean it's healthy and so when he says, take courage, get up, I'm calling you. And we do throw that off. We live in the tension of transition because the old is there. We're not in the new yet. And many people in the body of Christ today are in transition. In this liminal space, it's uncomfortable, it's disarming. I'm right there. We don't know what's ahead. We don't know how to step into what's ahead yet. But he says, I'm calling you. Take courage. Get up. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep saying yes. Keep showing up. Keep being faithful. You're part of God's eternal purpose. Keep showing up. Keep showing up. Again, we're, we're so baited to get back into self-preservation and just turn the other way and go back to where we came from, but it's not right. It's not healthy. It's not what he's called us to do. We've got to stay in motion. And so the promise is this, Isaiah 61. I think it's amazing because this is where we started today. Jesus read Isaiah 61 in the narratives we read in, in Luke 6, excuse me, Luke 4 and Mark 6. This is the promise, the great exchange. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a garment, not the old garment, a new garment, a garment of praise instead of a heavy, faint, failing, broken spirit. But you gotta say yes. Take courage, get up, he's calling you. Why? To put on the new garment for a new day. A new day requires a new garment. I get it. We've grown attached to this. 
And so letting go of anything old takes courage. That's why he said, take courage. It's not your courage though. It's his strength to be perfect in your weakness. Jesus, I need you. I need you today. And when tomorrow becomes today, I'll need you again. Oh, but he's not done. A garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities. Who are they? They are the people who came in broken just a few verses earlier. But this is the great promise of restoration. We're restored from the inside out to walk in transformation because only transformation, excuse me, only transformed people transform people. He's still not done. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there should be a double portion. Shame causes us to hide. It's the kryptonite that keeps us in that cycle of pain. Instead of your shame, a double portion of empowerment, a double portion of my grace to walk uprightly in purity and power, clean hands and a pure heart, that we would reject that which is false and ascend the mountain of the Lord for his glory. That's why I said the goal of our Christian experience is maturity. He's looking for his sons to rise up in this day because God's eternal purposes will be accomplished through us. There is no plan B, we're it. God's purposes, God's eternal purpose will be made manifest and it will continue throughout all of eternity. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring. The Lord is blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God. The soul that was once bitter and broken and exhausted. For he has clothed me, here it is again, with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. Are you, are you tired today of the outer garment? Of bearing the unnecessary weight of things that are as real as ever but have nothing to do with where you're going? Again, the day that you decide that what Jesus did for you is greater than what happened to you is the day you're going to throw off that tattered outer garment that has a lot of history to it and you're going to move forward into a place of transition, yes, but into a place of receiving a robe of righteousness that you will walk in purity and power and maturity for this is who he has called us to be. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I actually, we're gonna spend a few minutes with the Lord. I wanna do some listening prayer because this is a day of transformation. When the Lord asks, with every head bowed, every eye closed, when the Lord asks, what do you want me to do for you? Tell him. Hold nothing back from him. Listen. Bring your true circumstance to receive his truth that will set you free. The point of truth is freedom. So ask him. 
Father, what is the outer garment I'm wearing? If you don't know what that is, that's okay. David prayed in Psalm 139, search me and know me. The spirit of truth, John 16, 13, the spirit of truth will lead you and guide you into all truth. Ask him today. Ask the Lord what the outer garment you need to throw off is. And Father, I pray today, Father, show them what that is. And when the Lord asks, son, daughter, what do you want me to do for you? Answer him in truth. Just stay in this moment. Thank you, Jesus. There's someone here today, you've been having nightmares. And you think this is your new normal, but in Jesus' name, it stops today. It stops today. There's a man in this room, and if you're being honest, you're afraid that your wife's gonna leave you. I don't know the backstory, obviously, but I sense by the power of the Holy Spirit, you, you live in fear that your wife's gonna leave you, but it stems back to early rejection from earlier in your life, and today the Lord says, throw off that outer garment, be free. It stops today. The fear stops today. There's a couple in this room today. You've been through a lot. And you've experienced a lot of restoration, but one of you is still wearing the outer garment of shame and it's causing you to live in a level of self-protection where you're not fully open. The Lord says it stops today. The Lord says it stops today. Throw off the outer garment today. Throw off your outer garment. We need our sight to see the spiritual reality of what's really happening in the context of God's eternal purpose, folks. Because only transformed people will transform people. It's eyes to see, it's ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking. It's a heart to know and understand for the glory, for the honor of King Jesus. So take courage, take courage, get up, he's calling you. If everyone would stand now, I wanna, I wanna make an invitation. Because if today is your day, to say, this hurt, but I'm done with it. If today's your day, I just want you to come forward. The band's gonna lead us in a song. This is between you and the Holy Spirit, but I want you to come forward as a sign of faith that today is the day to throw off the outer garment, to say, I'm ready for the new day. What happened to me is not who I am. What happened to me is not who I am. What happened to me is not who I am. Thank you, Jesus.